0: Hello and welcome to The Debrief. I'm Lana Zach. We have a really impactful story that we're going to bring you right off the top. Senator Martha McSally, that revelation that she was raped while in the military. Paul Manafort back in court today. And Facebook says that they're going to try and better protect our privacy. But first, here are your headlines.
1: AN AMERICAN REPORTER TAKEN INTO CUSTODY IN VENEZUELA HAS BEEN RELEASED.
2: I WAS PRETTY SCARED. I mean, I'VE BEEN IN VENEZUELA FOR ABOUT FIVE YEARS NOW so I KNOW THAT THIS IS ALWAYS A POSSIBILITY.
1: THAT'S CODY WEDDLE WHO WAS REPORTED FOR ABC NEWS FROM CARACAS. HE SAYS THAT WHILE HE WAS BEING INTERROGATED, HE WASN'T HURT. WEDDLE IS NOW IN THE PROCESS OF BEING DEPORTED BACK TO THE UNITED STATES. Changes are on the way at Facebook around
3: privacy. Co-founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the company will begin emphasizing new privacy shielding messaging services. A shift apparently aimed at blunting both criticism against the company's handling of personal data as well as a potential antitrust action. The
1: changes will be focused on Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp and Instagram. A new battle is raging on the high seas in the Gulf of California, the fight to save the Mexican vaquita porpoise, the rarest and most endangered marine mammal on Earth. Wildlife experts believe that at most 22 vaquitas remain in the wild, and the fight to save them is a war between emboldened fishermen who illegally poach the vaquita and members of the Sea Shepherd who fight to save what remains of the vaquita population. Sea Shepherd member Jack Hutton told the AP, if we stop fighting, the vaquita will go extinct.
4: LeBron James has surpassed Michael Jordan in career scoring thanks to this layup during the Lakers' loss to Denver. He then got emotional during a tribute video. King James now ranks fourth on the all-time scoring list. Kobe Bryant is number three. James could pass him next year.
0: Our top story today, Senator Martha McSally and the revelation that was emotional and delivered in front of a hushed audience on Capitol Hill yesterday, saying that she was a victim of sexual assault in the military, revealing that she had in fact been raped. Senator McSally is well known for her accomplishments in the military, the first female combat uh, to fly for the Air Force, the first woman uh, to actually command a fighter squadron. And for the first time yesterday, she
5: revealed this. So, like you, I am also a military sexual assault survivor. But unlike so many brave survivors, I didn't report being sexually assaulted. Like so many women and men, I didn't trust the system at the time. I blamed myself. I was ashamed and confused. I thought I was strong, but felt powerless. The perpetrators abused their position of power in profound ways. And in one case, I was preyed upon and then raped by a superior officer. I stayed silent for many years, but later in my career, as the military grappled with scandals and their wholly inadequate responses, I felt the need to let some people know I too was a survivor. I was horrified at how my attempt to share generally my experiences were handled. I almost separated from the Air Force at 18 years over my despair. Like many victims, I felt the system was raping me all over again.
6: From
0: the senator and somebody who spoke with uh, the senator just last week uh, is one of our guests. We're bringing in two very, uh, very well spoken and brave women who have served our military. Thank you very much for serving our country and for serving all of us by speaking out against uh, the sexual assault, the, the culture that needs to be changed. Uh, so I want to introduce Stacey Thompson. She is a Marine Corps veteran and Trina McDonald, a Navy veteran and also subject of the award winning documentary. The invisible war thank you both so much for being here i i want to start with you stacy and both of you have asked me to refer to you by your first name so no disrespect um but uh but we're going to have a really real conversation and stacy you actually spoke with senator mcsally last week and did she reveal to you that that she also had gone through
7: this this type of a situation um so first off thank you very much for having me this morning uh Actually, the the conversation with Senator McSally was really um, more geared. She did a lot of listening, which was incredible, um, and she did share a little bit um, about her experience. But she really, you know, she she made it a point during that um, that meeting to listen to what we had to say as survivors and hear our concerns about changes that needed to be made further, um, you know, and and the discussion of the Military Justice Improvement Act. So.
0: And it's not just about one bold name that has survived this that's now coming forward. I want to give you some space to tell us about your own experiences.
7: Sure. Uh, so I entered the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old, um, and I volunteered for my first overseas duty station at Okinawa, Japan. Um, upon arriving to Okinawa, uh, almost immediately, I dealt with sexual harassment. Um, and after reporting the harassment, I was transferred to a new unit. Um, And it was just a few months later in that new unit that um, I went out one night, and I was drugged and uh, raped by my sergeant. I was taken um, to a barracks room on the base and then driven back off base, um, and left there uh, on the side of the road at 4 a.m. And when I reported, um, when I reported the rape, what happened is, uh, long story short, during an open investigation for the crime of rape, through NCIS, this sergeant was allowed to separate from the Marine Corps um, and leave the island during an open investigation. Although I had reported it, I had spoken with congressmen, I had requested masks to the base general, um, but because of the way the, you know, at the time that the chain of command was, he was allowed to separate during that open investigation, and I never saw justice.
0: Are you still seeking justice?
7: I am, um, you know, just I mean, after I reported, I was retaliated against, and I was separated um, from the Marine Corps. And it took 16 years before I received mental health care um, and got my discharge upgraded. So I've, you know, for the last almost 20 years, I've been in in a fight to gain justice. Thankfully, I can say today that I am receiving full benefits from the VA. Um, and you know, and now I've chosen to use my voice to speak out and let people know what changes still need to be made, um, and that survivors, you know, a lot of us are very afraid to come forward because we we have a fear of retaliation, and and that's evident in the numbers.
0: Well, the numbers, uh, according to the Pentagon, in the last the latest report from 2017, 6,769 reports of sexual assault. That's up 10 percent. Do you think that that's because there are more incidences or more people actually reporting?
7: You know, I think it's a, a combination. Um, I think the numbers, I think we should be shocked, truthfully as a nation, when we hear how high those numbers are um, and and really focus on the idea that for each of those, those numbers, those are people. Um, we're not data, we're not statistics. These are actual people who are Reporting, um, you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment, and rape in our United States military. Um, but you know, I what I what I think is an issue too is that 99% of you know the estimated thousands of victims, um, you know, I think it was 15,000, um, never actually saw justice in their case, and that is just mind-boggling. That would never happen, I believe, in in the civilian world, and things need to change. Um, significantly, in order for victim victims, survivors um, to to see justice and to feel like we can trust um, the system.
0: And I want to bring Trina
7: into this conversation
0: as well. Uh, Trina, you've also been fighting to have your story known, uh, participating in the documentary Invisible War, and then. Um, and you also can speak to that that notion that Stacy brought up of retaliation. Why people don't come forward, and what happens when they do?
2: Well, in my situation, what would happen after I had been assaulted numerous times? I was drugged and raped three times while I was serving in Naval Security Group ADAC Alaska. I was thrown into the Bering Sea by a group of Marines and Navy personnel and left for dead. Left. You know, and that is.
0: Yeah, go ahead. No, no, that I I wanted to underscore that you actually were left for dead by the people you were serving alongside because in this case you uh, you were sexually assaulted you um, you brought it to the attention of others but then uh, but there was also another element to it as well your sexuality.
2: Correct. I believe that I was being targeted because I was gay. Um, it was, you know, much long. It was a long time before "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" would come into play, um, and these particular people, both female and male, targeted me, even though I was under investigation for being gay. They they threw me into the Bering Sea and left me, but it would go on, you know, until I would actually leave the lower, go to the lower 48, you know, for a few more months.
0: And. Trina, you you experienced this, as you said, a long time ago. Do you and you've been advocating for changes ever since? Do you feel like the military has
2: changed? Not extremely. Um, I believe that there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, it's been 30 years for me. You know, and here we are still having this conversation about zero tolerance, which hasn't happened because you know there's still young recruits that are being assaulted today.
0: And the latest news from Cong- from Senator McSally's office is that she is not intending to pursue uh, an investigation. Uh, has uh, would you uh, would you encourage her to do so, or, or um, obviously, that's a decision for each person to make? But uh, even speaking out, I think, helps to shed a light on on the issue.
2: Well, I absolutely applaud her for coming forward because it is a really difficult thing to do.
0: You know, anytime
2: that you. You know basically confess that you were sexually assaulted while serving is it's painful it's hard Um, and i hope that you know she takes her position and being able to share her story on a national stage and be able to help other survivors
0: and stacy you also um met with uh with with lawmakers Uh, i want to go back over to you and and ask you this question do you feel like you're being heard in Washington? Is that where the change is going to come from?
7: You know, I think that, uh, I think that especially after the, the Me Too movement, I think that people all over are being heard. I believe that this past week, um, from what I can see, having spent time with, you know, some incredible veterans, um, and lawmakers and, Uh, I I definitely think that we are being heard. Um, You know, myself, Mm -hmm. Trina, and uh, another Navy veteran, Keith Phillips, um, we began uh, MeTooMilitaryMovement.org. And, you know, our goal was to raise more awareness about changing not just the legislation, um, but the changes that need to be made to have access to mental health available immediately um, no matter how a service member gets out of the military, they should have access to mental health care um, so they can address, you know, the the trauma that they went through. Um, and then changes to, you know, how we deal with uh, discharge upgrades. If people get out with other than honorable discharges, like myself, that process can be lengthy um, and very difficult to address. Excuse me.
0: <laughs> That's life. It's real.
7: <laughs>
0: Sorry about that. Uh, no, that's that's quite all right. I want to thank both Stacey Thompson and Trina McDonald. Uh, you are have distinguished yourselves for fighting for our country, and now you fight for our society and our humanity. Thank you both so much. We're now going to change speeds a little bit. Paul Manafort back in court today. Sentencing hearing taking place at ABC's Catherine Folders is outside the courthouse in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Manafort has been... Uh, convicted of eight felonies, uh, bank fraud, tax evasion, and that's going to carry up to 25 years in prison. So does it look like he's going to spend the rest of his days uh, locked away?
6: Well, look, that's the question, Alana. He's a 69-year-old man. He's certainly concerned about that. But here today, this is the first of two sentencing, one here and one in Washington, D.C., and this is perhaps the most consequential one. As you mentioned, he faces up to 19 uh, to 25 years in prison, so he'll learn his fate here today. Multiple uh, legal experts and folks that we've spoken to say it's quite likely that he won't um, get that much time. But just to remind you of this trial, it was a one-month-long trial uh, here In August, he was found guilty on Eight OF THOSE COUNTS OF TAX evasion and bank fraud, and then he ultimately pleaded guilty to those other 10 as part of a plea deal in Washington, D.C., with the special counsel, a plea deal that he ultimately broke. But I've been uh, speaking to some folks uh, in Manafort's world who, it, look, they're resigned to the idea that, that he will get a lengthy sentence, but at the same time uh, are a little nervous to see what will happen here today. Uh, just a reminder of the judge in this case. He's a colorful judge, and at times, Took issue with Mueller's team, with Mueller's prosecutors. They uh, had a trial and brought witnesses that portrayed Manafort's lavish lifestyle. He spent $15,000 on an ostrich jacket. He had luxury cars. And the judge took issue with that at times. He said, We don't prosecute people for being rich. But look, the bottom line here is that Manafort will uh, figure out his fate. And something that Judge Ellis says now, while he may have sympathy at times, he usually says, Quote, life is about choices. You are responsible for the choices you make. A line we heard a lot during this trial and could expect to hear that again today, Lana.
0: All right, thank you so much, Catherine. We're gonna head over to the White House. lots happening there. And I bring in my friend Karen Travers. Former Chief of Staff John Kelly was at Duke University and he had some advice to his successor, Mick Mulvaney. Take a listen.
3: What advice did you give uh, your successor, uh, Mulvaney? Uh, Run for (laughs) it. No, just the best you can. I mean, as I've I've said repeatedly, just tell him what he needs to hear. Uh, If I'd have gotten a call, if if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency and she had called me and said, you know, I really need uh, a good chief of staff here, Uh, I'd have have probably done it. Politics aside, it's all about governing the country.
0: He says Mulvaney should run. He says he would be chief of staff to Hillary Clinton. Karen, where is, where is this coming from?
8: Yeah, this is all really interesting from John Kelly. The first time, as you say, that he has spoken publicly since leaving the White House. And Lana, he's telling Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, to run for it. But John Kelly served as the president's chief of staff for a year and a half. And at times it was quite rocky. Kelly even offered to resign on several occasions before finally leaving the administration at the end of last year. And, you know, we've seen this happen with other officials when they've left the Trump administration, trying to put their own spin on their time here, perhaps set themselves up for what the next chapter is in their life. And I think it was notable last night that you heard John Kelly suggesting he would have worked for a President Hillary Clinton. That's not something that's ever come up before. We hadn't heard her say that she would consider him for a top position. But I think there are people who, when they leave this White House, Lana, are trying to say that they serve the Trump administration out of a duty and service to this country not out of a loyalty to the president because of a lot of the controversies here controversies that john kelly himself was involved in kelly said last night that this was the toughest job he's ever had the least enjoyable job he's ever had but lana he said it was the most important job he's ever had
0: yeah, I'm, I, I confess I'm now picturing Kelly driving around <laughs> in a car that has a bumper sticker that says I'm with her. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because Kelly is in the headlines right now for allegedly writing a memo encouraging President Trump to not override the CIA uh, uh, guidance that his son-in-law Jared Kushner should not receive a, uh, a top-level security clearance, but, but he's mum on that, Karen.
8: He was asked about this last night, and this was a report that was broken in the New York Times last week, that the president ordered John Kelly to get approved that top-level security clearance for the president's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner. The Times said that Kelly wrote memos about this in real time to document what seemed to be his frustration and opposition to this. No surprise, he's not getting into details about this, but he was asked about it last night at this event at Duke.
0: Yeah, saying that, that would be privileged information. All right, thank you. so much, Karen. Now we're going to go over to the latest with singer R. Kelly. He is heading back to jail over missed child support payments. We have ABC's Tom Yamas in Chicago.
3: Lana, that new allegation coming out of Detroit and police say the woman involved allegedly was 13 at the time, but R. Kelly likely has no idea about this new accusation because the news broke after he was handcuffed and brought here to the Cook County Jail. Now, he's here because he failed to pay child support payments. He owes his ex-wife more than $160,000. Now, he asked his spokesperson, how can R. Kelly, who sold millions of records and lives in a luxurious tower to this day in Chicago, how can he not pay his child support? Well, the spokesperson tells us R. Kelly never learned how to read or write, and just last month opened a bank account in his own name for the first time, and that his finances are a mess. That being said, he's not going to get out of jail until he pays that child support payments. Again, more than $160,000 he owes to his ex-wife. Now, all of this happening after that explosive interview with CBS where R. Kelly started to cry. He said he was being attacked and that all the accusations against him from those 50 women were all lies. R. Kelly also spoke about the two women he calls his girlfriends, two women that are now in their, their 20s. He claims their parents sold them to him. Well, the parents are saying that's an absolute lie, that R. Kelly is a serial liar and they never, ever sold their daughters to R. Kelly, that they want to get in contact with their daughters, they want to speak to them, and more importantly, they want to see them. Reporting here from Chicago for ABC News Live, I'm Tom Yamas. Lana, back to you.
0: Thanks so much, Tom. I don't know how saying that the parents tried to sell the girlfriends is a defense. But anyways, we're gonna head over to, uh, to a topic that, uh, that I think a lot of you are going to be paying a lot of attention to, Facebook. And their new claims that they want to try and bring more privacy, bring us into a living room type environment. And I'm joined by Will Reeve. Will, tell us uh, what Facebook is trying to do now and is it falling a little flat?
4: Well, Lana, Mark Zuckerberg last night, in a 3,000-word blog post on Facebook, outlined a new plan for Facebook going forward, which is going to take it from what he called the town square into the living room, making everything more private than it already is. And he did this by outlining six specific principles, including uh, private interactions, encryption, reducing permanence, safety, interoperability, which means you can message between services, secure data storage. Those are the key tenets that he is proposing. And basically what that would mean is that everything that you know Facebook as now, where you publicly post things on what you like, what you do, where you go, pictures of cats, of your nieces and nephews, your kids, your college reunion, whatever, everything that you live your life publicly on Facebook for, Mark Zuckerberg says they want to now make that private, focusing more on messaging with people you know, small groups of people. And by doing that, he says that will make everyone feel safer, freer to be themselves, and will also be done through Facebook platforms, not just Facebook as we know it, but Messenger and Instagram and WhatsApp. The interoperability thing, of course, would be key there.
0: Of course, the solution to Facebook is more Facebook, right?
4: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) What Zuckerberg is saying is, Okay. Look, we know that in the past we've been we've been bad. He actually acknowledged in his blog post that Facebook does not have the strongest reputation for privacy, which of course is an understatement considering the data breach that happened recently, the Cambridge Analytica, Am- Analytica scandal, and hosts of other accusations that have been levied at Facebook over the over recent years in terms of data selling and data usage and storage and, and privacy. So what Zuckerberg is saying is like. We know that, but try to forget it as we work going forward to fix that and, and change social media from being this public town square into a more private, intimate living room.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. Next, we're going to go to uh, a story that we've been covering extensively, tornadoes and uh, the very latest 23 dead. President Trump is going to head over there tomorrow, and ABC's Rachel Scott is there in Beauregard, Alabama. Rachel, what do you expect the
9: president will see when he arrives? Hi, Lana. Well, this is exactly what the president can expect to see when he's on the ground tomorrow. Just take a look. This is all that is left of this home. I'm actually standing in what used to be the kitchen and the living room. 170 mile per hour winds sent this roof flying right off. Walls collapsing. Just take take a look at this wall. This wall collapsed over this TV over here. A sofa was actually here and was uh, flown and sent just 10 feet away from me. I could see it off into the distance there. And now residents are forced to Comb through some of this destruction and the damage. Just take a look on the floor here. Buried beneath some of the shattered glass. I'm seeing a keyboard here and some Tupperware that flew from the pantry behind me. This small community of Beauregard is at the heart and the center of the destruction. Uh, 23 people were killed when those two deadly tornadoes hit the ground here, sending 175, 170 mile-per-hour wind just ravaging through this area. And officials say that all, all those people that were killed were killed when just one square mile of each other. The youngest victim was just six years old, Lana. So devastating. Are, are search and rescue efforts continuing, or
0: is it now just people looking towards remembering the dead and rebuilding their lives?
9: Well, A little bit of good news. Officials say those several people that were missing over the last couple of days have all been accounted for. But as President Trump is on the ground tomorrow, uh, one victim will be buried. Ten-year-old Taylor Thornton will be laid to rest tomorrow. Her mother telling ABC News she was actually visiting her best friend when those two tornadoes uh, hit the ground here. And you can just imagine the fear. Uh, Of those two little girls hunkered down trying to brave that storm. Her best friend did survive. I'm told that her best friend's uh, father and stepmother did did uh, did not survive. They died and that she actually has not been told uh, that she lost her best friend, her father and her stepmother. So, you know, just a lot of grief here in this community. You could replace the home, you could replace some of the items here, but you can't replace the lives that are lost. Lana.
0: Absolutely devastating. Please uh, know that our hearts are with everybody there in Beauregard, and uh, and we wish them all the best as they try and move on from this darkness. Uh, next, a, a moment of of optimism for one of our friends, Cody Weddell. Uh, he was just released. He's a U.S. citizen who has been living in Venezuela, a freelance journalist who I've spoken with many times on this program. You know his uh, insightful reporting. He is known for getting out there on the ground talking to people. He was detained by the Venezuelan government for questioning. He is now being deported. And we wish Cody all the best and a speedy return here to the United States. And another story uh, that uh, I want to leave you with, a story of survival. This one, this Oregon man, Jeremy Taylor, spent five days stuck in that car right there with his dog, Ally. Uh, he says that he survived because of Taco Bell fire sauce. Uh, he uh, he's said that, um, that it at least boosted his spirits, if not saved his life. Take a listen to what he said to ABC.
7: I was obviously hungry, but I didn't really feel like I was like you know, starving. But it was I mean, when you have nothing, it's it's nice. Even even you know, hot sauce is going to be something. There's onions or jalapenos or something. In there. There's something that you could chew on for a quick second. And whether or not it's n- any nutritional value or not, at least uh, in, in your mind, that's something.
0: Uh, well, the good news for uh, for Mr. Taylor, he is going to receive a year's worth of not just Taco Bell fire sauce but Taco Bell from the company, and we wish him all the best. You have been watching The Debrief. What a show. Make sure to keep it tuned here on ABC News Live all day. Our political show, The Briefing Room, takes place at 3.30 Eastern, and then at 8 p.m. you can watch World News Prime. Of course, for all of your latest news, download the ABC News app. For ABC and the entire team here, I'm Lana Zach. Thanks for watching.